Hello, and welcome to the Conversations with Data podcast, where we bring you the most interesting discussions around data journalism. I'm your host, Tara Kelly, and today we'll be speaking with Jan Deem, a senior journalist engineer at The Pudding, a digital publication that explains ideas debated in culture with visual essays. Before joining The Pudding in 2018, Jan worked for a slew of news outlets, including The Hartford Current, The Baltimore Sun, HuffPost, ABC News, The Guardian US, and CNN. Jan has developed some incredible pieces for The Pudding over the years, but she is probably best known for her visual essay, looking at the size of women's jean pockets, co-written by Amber Thomas. In this episode, she talks to us about how The Pudding was founded, her creative process, and what coding languages and design tools she relies on to create those very compelling visual essays. Let's take a listen to our conversation with Jan Deem now. Jan Deem, welcome to Conversations with Data. Yeah, thank you all for having me. Now, talk to us a little bit about your career. How did you get started as a visual data journalist? Always knew I wanted to do journalism. Um, I was in a high school kind of journalism class, and uh, my teacher there was one of the high school teachers that you just hear about in these um, stories about people who changed their lives and kind of put them on a trajectory. Um, and so I did the design um, for the newspaper there and, and also um, was a photographer. And so that was kind of like my first step into the the visual side of journalism. And I was always just loved that side of it. Um, so from there, I went to college actually to study photojournalism, um, but then again, found the design pull uh, that was stronger than photos. Um, so I ended up doing a lot of kind of newspaper page design um, at college. And my first job out of school was um, at the Hartford Current doing the sports pages. Um, so I dealt with all of the the agate of the sports pages, which are like all the box scores of games and stuff, which is a very unglamorous, you know, newspaper job. Um, but it kind of set the foundation of that I really just enjoy the puzzles of fitting visuals together. Um, and so after a few layoff situations, um, because that's kind of what happens in the industry, um, bopped me around and I kind of had to reinvent what my brand and, and vision of visual journalism was. And that eventually led me um, to, to data journalism and, and developing and designing stuff for the web. Now, you've worked across so many different newsrooms, CNN, The Guardian, Huffington Post, to name a few. What did you find most surprising about these different publications and how they operated when it came to data and design? I think like just the time that I was in the industry, um, it's been about like uh, 12 years now. And um, it feels like my career is kind of closely tracked with how we've seen the rise of data journalism come. Um, and so... At the very beginning, some of those jobs were um, more kind of service desk jobs where uh, it was traditional reporters, words journalists coming and asking for for small charts to to accompany their stories. Um, and it wasn't really kind of seen as um, you weren't journalists yourself. Um, and so as time went on and the craft grew and stuff, I think the most noticeable change is that um, People realize that, yes, we you know can build charts and graphs and, and maps and everything, but at the core, we're still journalists. So we're still asking you know the, the who, what, where, why, when, and how questions in kind of our pursuit of that. 
Uh, and so it became much more of a collaborative environment of working with uh, people with different skill sets and different mediums um, of telling stories. And, and then um, seeing it become kind of like a driving force in where a lot of uh, publications wanted to take their coverage. Absolutely. Now, The Pudding is definitely a favorite publication for both myself and many data journalists. But I wonder if you could sort of tell us who's behind it, when it was founded, how did it come about, and also what's its ethos? Yeah, well, so The Pudding, um, first I'll go to the name because everybody's kind of like, what in the world is that? Um, uh, And it tracks back to the kind of the old adage, the proof is in the pudding. Um, and when Matt, um, who is the founder uh, of the company in 2017, and, and kind of some of the early members, Russell and Ilya, uh, were talking about it, um, they wanted to be called just the proof. Uh, but the name was already taken. And so they were like joking around and they were like, what if we just called ourselves the pudding? And it was a joke at first and then it just kind of stuck. Um, and I think the, the playfulness of it at the surface um, is very much what the pudding has turned into. Um, where like it's part of this, you know, it reads very playful at first. It's uh, inviting and, and unintimidating, uh, but then it's attached to kind of you know uh, rigor and um, investigative in, in intentions in the background. And I feel like that's kind of how we we see ourselves. Um, I always tell people that a lot of our stories are kind of like the tip of the iceberg, where you get you know something that pulls you in. Um, for instance, like uh, emo rap. Um, then we'll use it to kind of talk about toxic masculinity. Um, or in a piece on pockets, we'll talk about the shape and the size and the, the lack of women's pockets and use that to talk about you know, things like the patriarchy and um, the policing of women's bodies. Uh, so I think it's that kind of like iceberg or spoonful of sugar where we're really trying to meet people where they are in their day-to-day lives to reveal kind of those deeper truths around things. And I'm curious, how do you work as a team? Um what are, what are the different mixes of skills that you guys have across the pudding? Um, is everyone able to code and write and design and edit, or do you guys have certain specialties? Uh, we've got like six journalist engineers, which is kind of our, our made-up title that we just hyphenated and kind of pulled it together because we exist in this quasi-journalism tech space. Um, but everyone is able to write code design do data analysis um, across the board, but we all kind of have our specialties and the things that we're most comfortable with or the things that we get the most energy from. Um, Since I definitely come from a more design background, like that's the thing that I lean on and I'll help um, members of the team do that. But other people are are more so skilled in in development and that's where they'll shine um, or on the the data side uh, too. So I think there is um, definitely a a blend of skills uh, among everyone, but everyone is able to take something from start to finish. It just may take a little bit longer here and there. How often do you guys publish? Roughly our kind of like sweet spot for projects is they take between like four to six weeks from like idea to completion. Um, and so we kind of have like a rough idea of where everyone is in that like process. And we have weekly check-ins to see like, okay, is your kind of goal of, of meeting this in six weeks? Are we still on track for that? And I, and I think we try to stagger everybody's start on a project so that we do kind of have that natural cadence to things. We try to um, make sure that we publish something every other week we have, so we have like a gap week. Um, sometimes it doesn't always work out that way because there are just a lot of 
unforeseen circumstances when working with data, um, especially in the like the data analysis and data wrangling part. That is inevitably like the part that takes the longest, the one that always has the pitfalls. So like when we get to the development stage, like actually like that goes pretty fast and smoothly most of the time because there's known quantities and, and parameters that you can you can get to. Um, but every other week is kind of what we found to be good. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be, you know, a full-blown, long-scale story scrolling essay. Um, it can be kind of a short and sweet hit. So just trying to figure out the balance of that helps us kind of slot in which stories we think might be finished earlier than others. Um, but I think also working with freelancers um, is a challenge too, because a lot of them are moonlighting or doing it on kind of like the weekends in their spare time, uh, in addition to their full-time jobs. So uh, we want to be very aware of, of that schedule and there's not put any undue pressure on, on kind of getting a story out. So it just takes longer to collaborate that way. So we try not to rush anything out. There's, you know, there's not any th things that we're tying to particular news events. Um, so again, this, that, that luxury of that, like deadlines are there, but they're, they're highly flexible. Right. And you guys also have a business side to your organization too, right? Like a consultancy where you work with brands? Yes. Um, so it is the, the relationship that always confuses people the most. We have a sister studio called Polygraph. Um, it is the same people um, that operate with the pudding. So there's not that kind of like traditional wall that usually uh, exists in, in most journalism organizations. Um, but at Polygraph, we try to take on high impact. Um, again, it has to be a public facing data story that is kind of mission aligned or, or story aligned to what we internally believe um, our company's values and stuff. Um, and that money from that consulting or funds all of the passion projects on the pudding. And tell me about your uh, specific skills and, and your background, like what tools and what software and what design um, software do you use? Yeah, I used to be the Adobe Suites, uh, Creative Suites crutch. Um, I would, you know, exist in uh, Photoshop and Illustrator. And uh, I ended up spending a decent amount of my time there. But now we um, collectively use a platform called Figma, um, which is a kind of an open source replacement for Creative Suites. Um, and it's allowed us to collaborate a lot better. Um, so we use that a lot um, for uh, just kind of like wireframing and sketching and, and prototyping um, on design things. And I'll use code, so um, Visual Studio Code to do um, CSS and HTML. I use SVGs a lot just because it's the one thing that feels very uh, native in both platforms. So you're able to take something that you've designed in, in an Illustrator or a Figma and then port it directly over to the web. And so I, I think I operate in the same programs that kind of everybody else does uh, for the most part. Um, and those are my comfort zones. Right. Now, I know the pudding does uh, seem to take some pitches from freelancers, but I wonder what advice do you have for those pitching an idea to the pudding? I think the first thing is like, don't be intimidated. Um, I feel like a lot of times um, because we, I guess, exist in this space where we definitely have a more flat team. It's not always clear like who's behind the pudding or what we do. Or um, So I feel like a lot of people think it's almost like a Wizard of Ozzy where we're like, we need to pull back the curtain or something. Um, but I always tell people that we're, you know, there's not a day that goes by that I don't like have to Google something on, on Stack Overflow or just something else. Like I don't have magical powers. I just, I, I think the magical power would be that I'm at least good at Googling. 
So first is just like, don't be intimidated. And the second is going back to that idea of like looking for a deeper truth. I think that the first step when you're getting into data journalism is that, you know, you kind of want to explore the data and every single asset of it. And you want to know what the shape of it is and how it looks like. Um, But just kind of those raw data explorations, um, they don't work well for our platform because we want to find the kind of the deeper truth or the kernel that really connects it to how people live their day-to-day life or or kind of the why questions of of how data matters. I feel like the first questions you ask are the the softballs or like the the what's and the where's and and those. And we're trying to really answer those like how and why questions. Um, It's harder because um, data is so... um, most of it, a lot of the time it is quantitative. And so I think we're trying to add that qualitative piece in a lot of our, our reporting and our, our projects that we do. Um, so I think just taking that next step and asking yourself, like, why is this important? Um, why am I intrigued by this idea? If you're really passionate about it and it excites you, I think that comes through in your pitch as well. Personal attachment to pieces is really important. Um, I think a lot of times in journalism, um, especially in more traditional newsrooms, we're taught um, to root out the the humanness of us as journalists. And I think we're trying to recapture that or at least uh, become more of a platform for that at the pudding. So you'll see a lot of personal stories or or things that bring in our kind of own lived experiences um, that lead us down a, a data path. And I'm curious, like, um, in terms of qualitative data, what are some of the ways that you can design that in a, in a creative way? Are there any thoughts on that? I think it's just really important to remember that most data points, there's like people behind them. Um, and so often it's it's just pulling in the stories from those people. Um, my first piece of the pudding was a piece called Gaberhoods, and it was about the gender divide between where queer couples lived. And um, one of the things that I did there is like I had the data and I knew what the numbers said, but I knew that the numbers only took me so far. So I did, you know, a lot of reach outs to to see if people in these areas that I was seeing and identifying as more certain to be gayborhoods also felt that it matched what they were seeing on the ground. Um, So I think it's just making sure that people's lived experiences match what the numbers are telling you. Now, the pudding has done so many interesting pieces. Colorism in high fashion, as you mentioned, women's the size of women's jeans pockets. Um, you recently did a really cool one on AI and heartbreak, which I thought was really interesting, taking you through the different possibilities of a of a relationship breaking up. But I wonder, what are some of your favorites um, and why? I mean, I think the pockets one is definitely, I refer to it as like my magnum opus uh, a lot of the time. <laughs> it's definitely uh, felt like, that it's kind of the piece that I have become known for on the internet and that people ask me about the most. Um, that one was fun because, you know, there wasn't a data set there. Um, we had to go make it, you know, we couldn't go online and just look at the the product descriptions of, of all these jeans and, and get pocket measurements because they weren't there, but you know, Hey, it would be great if they were, because maybe I'd know which ones to buy. So Amber and I physically went to stores and, and measured these pockets and we developed kind of like a system uh, for measuring before we went out Um, But then it was just like really fun to be out in the physical space because so often we're trapped behind our computers um, and we don't kind of make that connection to to the real world with data. And so it was us out in dressing rooms. um, She was in Seattle and I was in New York and then I was moving cross country at the time. So I was in Nashville doing some measurements as well, which helped us get kind of a a broader swath of of American brands. 
but it was really fun to be out there and doing it. It also felt, you know, a little bit weird to take like three different pairs of pants and different sizes and stuff that we knew wouldn't fit us into dressing rooms. And most of the time we were doing this in like large department stores. So, so nobody would notice. I think like the important thing to mention there is that like, we're two white ladies doing this, right? Like we're not being followed in stores. Uh, We had a privilege um, in going to collect that data for sure. Um, So I think how we looked uh, afforded us the ability to go collect that data safely. Um, But then after we, after we got the data, we were able to put it you know, on online and a piece that really resonated. Um, I always tell people uh, that the guys at our company, uh, when we originally pitched the idea, were like, I don't know, that seems like a water is wet thing. Like, are we really revealing anything different? Uh, and Amber and I just kept pushing like, no, we think this is a good idea. It's, it's something that we've seen on and on just women griping about it. And um, when we put it out, it was just like affirmation. Um, so I think like, it's just an example of like kind of what makes a good data story in one sense is that you're confirming somebody's already held beliefs on the other side, you're challenging somebody's already held beliefs. And then the kind of third piece is that you're telling them something completely new. Um, so I think it checked at least one of those boxes for us. Absolutely. I mean, and that brings me to my next question. What is your creative process when you're like starting out with a data essay or an idea for a story for the pudding? How do you generate ideas? Do they just come to you from your lived experience or is there any other, do you carry a notebook around or? Yeah, we all keep a um, kind of a document that we call our, our personal backlogs. And it's just like the most random of ideas that have come into our head at any point in time. I'm, I'm a millennial, a child of the internet. So like a lot of my ideas come, come straight from there. Um, I think the biggest thing that we do is we just all consume a lot of different media and a lot of different things. And so like the more that we consume, I guess like the more input that we take, the better our output. Um, so we all keep that kind of public backlog of ideas. Um, and we, the pudding has a joint team backlog. Like we have combined all of our ideas and, and sent them back out to the world and said, Hey, if you want to use any of these, feel free. We don't have the time or the bandwidth to tackle all of them right now, but feel free to remix them and pitch them back to us. Um, we're happy to kind of collab and, and work with them on those. But as a team, we do a process that we call story time. Um, so it's us bringing those little snippets of, of ideas, those sparks of, of things to the team. Um, and we say, hey, this is an idea. What do you guys think of it? How can I make it better? What's the next approach to it. And I think in general, it's just kind of a, does this idea excite the team? And you can kind of see that, you know, we're, we're all virtual. So you can see it in kind of people's body language or their excitement or how quick they are to respond to an idea. And that's the kind of the best gauge is like, not only does the idea excite me, but it excites other people. Um, and I think, uh, especially if they have no prior knowledge of that idea itself, um, a lot of members of our team, um, including myself, are big basketball fans, but we have a, a, another strong contingent who know absolutely nothing about basketball. And so if we can bring a basketball idea to them and them still be intrigued and excited about it, then that's the test of, of that we know, like, okay, this, this might be something to explore further. So I wonder, looking back, you know, you said you've been in the industry now 12 years. What one thing do you wish you knew about the fields of data and storytelling before you started? 
Um, I think uh, for the longest time I had this like big imposter syndrome um, because there are so many different like coding languages and tools and, and things that it's like the big names or the, the big um, places that do this use. And I'm not a, I wouldn't consider myself like, you know, a code expert by any means. Um, I, I know just enough to be dangerous and just enough to, to get around. Um, so I think like um, when I was kind of first starting out, it just, there was this, this pressure to just know everything, to know JavaScript, to know D3, to know R, to know QGIS, to know um, Python. And there's just no way that one person can know all of that um, effectively. Uh, so I think it's, the advice would just be to like, you know, lean into what gives you the most energy, um, what language you're most comfortable in. There are a million different ways to get to the same endpoint, um, and a lot of them don't even involve that technical hard skill at all. Yeah, I'm just curious, like, what data sources do you tend to use or go to for ideas, or are you mainly just pulling together a data set yourself, like you did with? the gene pocket story? Um, I think a lot of times we want data that doesn't exist. Um, and so we end up kind of doing it ourselves or, or creating a data set that is a combination of, of a couple of different ways about seeing something. My wife is an urban planner and, and getting her demography PhD now. So in our house, we're like big fans of the census and, and all the kind of like uh, annual government stuff that comes out just because it's mostly reliable. And, and so you can get a good um, temporal aspect of it. So I, I think that the census is great because it also tells us about people. And, and that's like I, I mentioned earlier, like just the, the crux of all data is sort of revolve around people. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, the more that I produce stories, the more I'm creating my own data sets out of things that I think should be data sets. Uh, you mentioned that you know a bit of code. What what languages do you know and, and how did you learn those? Was that mainly in the newsroom or self-taught or a certain boot camp you went to? Yeah, so I know that the core of HTML, CSS, and that's more self-taught. Uh, but then I came into the the data visualization side of it through the D3 backdoor. So I didn't know any JavaScript um, at all and learned D3 before I learned JavaScript. Um, and the way I did that was through general classes at General Assembly um, when I was living in New York City. And then I also took a D3 data visualization night class through Metis, also in New York City, and Kevin Queeley from the New York Times and the Upshot was teaching that class. So that's how I first knew how to do it, mostly like night classes and then kind of applying that on the job and learning from other people that I worked alongside. And now I will feel pretty good in, in JavaScript and um, Node.js for, um, for that type of things. And then uh, recently at The Pudding, we've also started using Svelte, which is a new kind of framework library um, developed by Rich Harris, who's at the New York Times, but who I worked with at um, The Guardian. Um, and it's an awesome framework for beginners because it, the syntax just makes more sense. It's like you're, you're writing closer to plain English than you would in, in other languages. Brilliant. And I'm curious, are there any data visual experts or data journalists you admire who you follow? Um, I think, you know, 
the Times and the Post and 538 and, and Reuters and kind of all of the big shops, of course, like I, fo- I follow their work. I also am really into people that are, are challenging what data journalism looks like. Um, so my former colleague at the, the Guardian, Mona Chalabi, has a great uh, Instagram feed you know, data viz celebrity right there. So I'm sure everyone that's on, you know, listening has has heard of her. If you haven't, definitely go check it out. I think uh, Georgia Lupi, again, at Pentagram is doing um, great stuff. Um, Even her prior stuff at Accurate takes a a little bit more personal look at data. uh, And so I'm kind of looking at those things. Also, what's been an inspiration recently is um, Mitra Kalita, who I worked with at uh, CNN started this new company called URL Media, and under that umbrella is uh, Epicenter. Uh, it's a, a newsroom out of Queens in New York, and um, I would say that this doesn't count as like traditional data journalism because you don't see kind of that consumer-facing product. Um, but what they've been able to do during the pandemic and and as vaccines come available, they've uh, their staff has mobilized and started to secure vaccine appointments for people, uh, and so I think that's like taking in the data of our community, like who, who our readership is, um, what do they need? Um, and then pairing that with like where vaccines are available. And I think that's where I'm really interested and empowered uh, to stretch into is kind of this more activisty journalism space and, and using data for good and, and challenging what newsrooms and especially like community newsrooms can do with their data and what our readers want us to do with that data. What's next for the pudding? We're currently um, hiring for a managing director role of our kind of editorial operation. Um, right now, we're all juggling different projects at the same time, and there's not really a centralized system for um, how we make sure that our pieces uh, have an editorial standard and and somebody to, to look over them and also um, to kind of manage our, our freelance pool because we you know, we're a small team. And so we rely so heavily on kind of a healthy roster of freelancers. And we really want somebody to come into that role and kind of own it um, and allow us to grow as, as a platform more because um, our voices are just, you know, one in a sea of all the stories and voices that need to be told um, and ha- aren't given the space to be told. So um, we really want to see the pudding grow as more of a platform and kind of beyond our core team and it be a, a, a voice and a source for um, other storytellers as well. So I think the pudding as a platform is definitely uh, an idea that we're we're pushing into more. And I think also just keeping the momentum going and continually innovating. I think the pudding kind of became synonymous with the idea of scrolly telling for a while. Like um, we even have a library that we maintain. Uh, Russell has Scroll Llama that um, a lot of our articles are built off of. But recently, like not of our, a lot of our articles have used that storytelling method. And so I think it's just trying to figure out what's the next big tool or, or kind of medium that might be great for telling visual and data stories. I don't know if we have it yet, but we're always looking for it. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Jan Dean, for joining us today on Conversations with Data. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. A big thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in today. Want to hear more interesting discussions on data journalism? You can subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. I've been your host, Tara Kelly, and that's all for now. See you next time.